we're wrapping up after the book of Acts, and um, we're, we're taking a look at some of, the, some of the key defining principles that drive us as a church uh, that flow out of the book of Acts, but they also help us to define ourselves. Right now you'll see in the bulletin that on July 15th, it's a Friday night, we're looking to have a member class for those that would be interested. Class, you know, it is, a, is kind of a good term for it. Essentially, it's dinner, probably at my house, um, maybe at the Burke's house. They don't know that, but it might be. Um, and, uh, but they, uh, the, the idea is a chance to just talk about the uniqueness. Every single church in this area that loves Jesus and loves His Word and preaches His truth is considered part of our family. And we love the churches from this region. We're so thankful that uh, God's been working deeply. You know, I heard the other day about one of the churches from Gorham, Life Church, is going to be planting a church in Wyndham. And our response to that is awesome. There's no way that this one church body could reach all the people in this region. There's about 70,000 people that live within a 20-minute drive of Wyndham Baptist Church. So we're thankful for churches. We love God's church uh, we love His truth being preached. We love coming alongside of others that are, are preaching God's Word. So that's an exciting thing for us. But we just kind of understand that each one, just like, just like you, each one of us has our own personality, call it our own shape. And uh, the way that churches work that love Jesus and preach His Word and, and, and remind us and point us to Jesus and the Gospel, that those churches, each one has a unique shape and each, a unique fit. And what we can do is we can embrace that unique fit and see how we come alongside. So we need to understand what's the unique calling, say, for Wyndham Baptist Church. What are we supposed to be, not what's everybody else supposed to be? So part of this is to help us kind of define what is it that's unique or what's the calling, the heart that God's put onto us as a church. So uh, last week we talked about the, the, the position, the posture of being learners. And the idea of being a learner is the idea of being a disciple. It's an overarching kind of topic. We used to have missionary servant family learner, but we've realized that learner, this disciple mentality, really flows into every single area of our life. So it's not so much a separate category as an overarching category. That's what we're going to spend two weeks on it this, this uh, last week and this week. And you could always check in uh, onto our feed to, to hear more about what we talked about last week. But we looked in Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to pick up there and read in just a minute. But one of the things that we saw last week, if you were here, was this, this passage where Jesus goes through and he calls out to these fishermen and he says, come be my disciples. Now what we saw last week was that was a really unique thing because usually by the time you got to 13, 14, 15, they had pretty much decided whether you were smart enough to be able to be somebody who could make their living off being like a rabbi or being a, a church leader. And then the rest of you kind of got shuttled off and said, hey, just go learn whatever tract, you know, whatever it is your parents did, you go learn that. So the women would go learn how to take care of the house. These men were fishermen because their dad was a fisherman. But the process was you were ruled out. You were said you are not bright enough you are not uh, capable enough to really be that kind of a godly leader. That's what we saw last week. But let's not forget, that was what society said, but that's not at all what Jesus said, was it? 
Instead, Jesus actually walked through that town, and when he saw Peter and Andrew, and when he saw uh, James and John, he looked at them, and he said the words that every young man in Jewish culture would hope for. He said, I see something in you. I want you to follow me. And what did they do? They immediately dropped everything. They left their dad there working, and they went and they followed Jesus. Remember, this was the highest calling in that culture. We also admitted last week that our culture today, as rest of the, the, the rest of the first century culture, would not have understood this at all. So if you look at this and go, wow, that seems crazy, it fit for them. Um, but we saw a transition in some of that language as well. Okay, so let me go ahead and read this passage, and I want to compare it then to the other passage we looked at last week, because I want us to see that discipleship is necessary. For Wyndham Baptist Church, we've decided that if we're going to default on anything, we want to default on discipling. I'm going to say right up front that I feel like that is something that is not a typical culture in North America. Okay? I think there's lots of great churches out there. I think there's lots of great things that they're doing. But what we're calling people to do, one of the things that would attract people to Wyndham Baptist would be if they said, you know what? I want to be a disciple. I want to help disciple others. That's what I think a biblical calling is for my life. And then we'll talk a little bit about why that's unique and why that's challenging, okay? So let me just pray for us. Jesus, asking that you work here today, clarify, help strengthen. I want to pray that you would also take away some of that fear. For some of us who sat there and say, you know what, I've never had that in my life. No one's ever given that to me in my life. Or, or maybe that sounds just way too intimidating to even think about that in my life. God, Help us not to focus on that. Instead, help us to focus on the invitation that you give to us to come and walk with you and see you and know you and become like you because we spend that time with you. God, would you just encourage us that if you could call these guys who were rejects out of their boats and call them to follow you because you said you're not a reject. Instead, you are a disciple. God, would you just let that inform us too? So that we don't see ourselves as people who are failures, but instead we see that you are calling to every single one of our souls and you want us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. So again, Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we're just going to start here in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, which is probably a really good point, you know, I mean, it would be kind of funny, maybe they were, we don't know what they were doing with it, if they weren't fishermen, but they were casting a, a net in the sea because they were fishermen, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice the call, what's the call to? Follow me. This rabbi has called them to say, I want you to learn how to imitate me. Okay? So immediately, verse 20, they left their nets and they followed him. 
And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they were in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 28. That was the beginning of the calling of the disciples. Matthew 28, we call this what? The Great Commission, right? This is sort of the end of Jesus' earthly uh, presence inside of the church with these same disciples who are following him, right? So in Matthew chapter 28, we're going to just pick up verse 16, and it, it says this, right? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they what? They worshipped him. Super significant term, A, because every good Jewish boy knows you don't ever worship a human being. What's significant about this? Jesus wasn't just human. Jesus was God. So these uh, 11 followers who had followed their rabbi for these three and a half years worshipped Jesus. There's also another significant phrase here, but some, what? Doubted. We're going to come back to that in just a second, okay? And Jesus said to them, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Again, if you're God, you are allowed to have all authority in heaven and on earth. If you're not God, it's a dangerous thing for you to have all authority in heaven and on earth, right? So he, he says, that's my authority. Verse 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We use this idea of baptizing. Baptizing is a symbol, but the symbol is trying to help you understand your identity. You are now in the Father. You are now in the Son. You are now in the Spirit. This is your new family. This is your new name. When some of you adopted some of your precious kids, one of the most significant things happened when you stood with that judge and that judge declared you legally family. So often we see the pictures, we hear the recounting, we know how significant that is. It's the same kind of image to sit there and say, you are now family, okay? So that's what he wants them to understand. And then verse 20 also, though, teach them to obey, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. i got a couple of things that I want to try and show you today uh, about discipleship that drive us as a church these things we'll see in the book of Matthew. Then we'll know that they're going to flow through the book of Acts and they inform the way that we think through discipleship as a church. So a couple of things that I want us to see. Back in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus' call to those early disciples was what? Follow me. But what's their response now to Jesus in Matthew 28? They go from following Jesus to what? Worshiping. Is that a significant change? Especially when they've done what for the last three and a half years? They have walked with him. They have seen his character. Now let's just ask this. When you went to work with whoever you work with today, okay? When you went into that first situation, my guess is most of us kind of thought pretty positively, all the people that we met, we kind of walked in and said, hey, wow, these are really nice people, right? What was your opinion after you worked with them for three and a half years? Hopefully you still really like those people. Hopefully you still get along with them really well. But what's the reality? 
If you've worked with somebody closely, you've walked with them day in and day out for three and a half years, what have you gotten to know? Not just their good side, but what? Their weaknesses, right? The real them. What was the result of these men walking with Jesus for those three and a half years? They worshipped. That's significant. They saw the way He handled everything. They ate with Him. They heard Him talk. They got to listen in on all of His conversations. And the result of all of that was they were more and more convinced that Jesus was God. So I want you to see this. Um, They went from following Him to worshiping Him. One of our first characteristics of a disciple And one of the questions that we ask of our own lives, right, is, am I increasingly worshiping God? Why do we use the word increasingly? Because it says they worshiped Him, but some, what? Doubted. Does that mean this is an automatic thing? Does that mean that when we follow Jesus, all of a sudden, all doubt, all fear is just instantly erased? Not at all. After following Jesus for this amount of time, there was still some doubt in there. So what we're going to just say is there's a progressive nature to discipleship. In other words, what I want to see in my life is do I worship Jesus more today than I did yesterday or than a year ago? That's one of our first questions that we want to ask of our own lives. Do I worship? Do I enjoy? Do I know Jesus more day in and day out. The second thing I want us to see is back in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. But now he calls them what? To go and make disciples. So what's happened? He's changed their whole identity. He's changed their whole identity. They've been changed by Jesus through this time together. He made them into His disciples and they've got this whole new identity. That's what the baptism piece is. Is they grew uh, in their understanding that God has adopted them. God the Father adopted them. That makes them into family. One of our driving passions as a church is to say, you know what? I need to understand that you are my family. And I need to begin to relate to you differently because you are. And then I find out that the, the Spirit came along and empowered us to be missionaries. And that's what we find out early in the book of Acts, right? The Spirit calls and empowers us to go out on God's mission, to be servants to our world, and to to tell others this really good news about that. They've changed in that area. And then the third one is, through the work that Jesus has done in them, uh, because they're baptized in the name of Jesus, we get to find out that Jesus was the king who was a servant. What happens in my life is I become a servant. So not only do they increasingly worship God or Jesus, the second thing is we see that they're being changed by Jesus. So as we think through discipleship as a church, the second question we want to ask ourselves, am I changing? Am I changing? Am I understanding more about who I am in Christ, more about my identity? Does it mean more to me today to understand that I've been adopted by God? Is that picture richer and fuller? Or, or maybe I'm changing in my ability to be a missionary because I'm, I'm sitting there saying, God, you know what? Maybe three years ago, I didn't really care about my neighbors, but now I want to spend time 
it's important for me. I had a you know, conversation with some friends this week, and I know one of the things that, I, that struck me a couple of years ago was my neighbors constantly saw the taillights of my car as I left and waved. But they didn't have me or Tracy in their lives. And by the grace of God, an area that we've seen that's really changed us has been to say, I want to live on mission. I want to live on Jesus' mission so I can share with the people in my community who are probably not ready to come to church yet, but so they can come and so they can know more about Jesus. So that's a really important part where we see change in our lives. So a second metric for us, the second place that we're checking, am I increasingly worshiping Jesus? Am I being changed more and more by Jesus? And then the third thing was, Jesus called them at first, what? To be fishers of men. But now he's calling them to be teachers who help others to obey Jesus' commandments. So the third area that I want to see in my life as I grow is, am I growing in my obedience? And the things that Jesus has called me to do, do I see a change in my obedience? Areas that I found sinful, areas that I found frustrating, areas that I didn't like, areas that I sat there and said, Jesus, you're not allowed in this area of my life. Do I see change in that area? For us as a church, these are three of the really key questions that we want to keep asking. Now those questions really only work, though, in a discipleship relationship. I can ask them from the stage, and we can kind of sit there and go, yeah, that's a really good question. Or we might think of an area that we go, oh yeah, yeah, I should work on that kind of area in my life. But where do we really change? When Jesus called these men together, he called them what? To himself. To follow him. To be in a rabbi-disciple relationship. So what's a disciple? Well, one definition of a disciple is a disciple is someone who is increasingly worshiping Jesus in all of life. They're being changed by Jesus and obeying Jesus' commands. So a disciple is not somebody who gets swept up just in music. A disciple is not just somebody who sits there and says, well, I like to help, I, I, I serve this ministry. All these things can be the outflow of the life of a disciple. But a disciple sits there and says, I want to increasingly worship Jesus in my life. I want to be changed by Jesus in the ways that he wants me to change. And I want to obey Jesus' commands. I was reading Jonathan Dodson's book this week on gospel-centered discipleship, a helpful little book. And he said this, the goal is to look at Jesus, right? And to begin to look like Jesus. So here's his quote. He said, A disciple of Jesus is a person who so looks at Jesus that he or she actually begins to reflect his beauty in everyday life. The gospel gives us eyes to see Jesus as well as the power to look like him. Did you catch that? That's significant, isn't it? A disciple wants to look at Jesus. Remember Jesus said, come with me. A disciple would follow that rabbi and they would make it their goal not just to understand what the rabbi taught, but to actually say, I want to be just like you as my teacher. I want to mimic. I want to mirror. I would, the greatest compliment that could come to me is if somebody sat there and said, wow, you are just like your teacher. That would be the great compliment. Just like some of us, maybe as we age, 
maybe it's not so much a negative when somebody comes up and says to us, you're just like your dad. Have you ever felt that time where you sit there and go, you know what? I'm glad in that area you see me like that. That's a plus. That is the goal of a disciple. A disciple is someone who looks at Jesus so that he actually begins to reflect Jesus in his everyday life. As Christians, we are called to look and sound and act and think just like Jesus. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. Now, what's the process for that? What's the process? Because this is really a critical question. I'm going to sit there and say, preaching is necessary. I had a great uh, illustration one of you shared with me, and just because I don't want to embarrass any of our kids. One of you shared with me this last week about how, how important gathered worship is when we get together. And what was neat was this story that, that they shared. They said that they were standing there, and we were singing together. And the lyric that we were singing talked about uh, having these, these truthful hearts. And, and their little one is just singing out nice and loud and proud and really enjoying it. And all of a sudden, that little guy grabbed his dad's hand and he said, can we talk? So they actually left. Now hopefully, I, I doubt anybody even noticed it. It probably looked like a bathroom run. But when they went out there, that little one said to his dad, he said, Dad, I'm really sorry. But you remember last week when I said this? I lied about that. And we were talking about being truthful. And, and I'm sorry. Sometimes we think that being in gathered worship doesn't matter. But what I want us to see is, yes, preaching matters. Singing matters. Speaking the gospel to each other. These elements that we have said we are going to focus on, these things have big, eternal impacts on our lives. And that's just one really neat chance to share a story like that. That here's a little boy's heart standing and singing and to have that touch him deep there. That's important. While I say that, I do want to say this though. Preaching is necessary, but it is not sufficient. You could show up here and hear all the sermons in the world. You could go through and, and listen to all these great, and again, we have such great podcasts today, these great preachers from around the world we can listen to. But what I'm going to say to you is Jesus didn't say, hey, make sure you sit down and listen to all my sermons. It's amazing how few of his sermons actually made it into the Bible. You'd think that if it was the Bible and you were God and you gave a sermon that they'd write it all down. But they didn't. Why? Because discipleship isn't about sitting down and just taking notes. It's part of it. We need information, but I don't just need, um, I don't just need information. There's also imitation. And then I also need innovation. So there's three kind of components right there, right? I need information, I need imitation, and I need innovation. What do I mean by that? We need this imitation. I need someone to get to watch Someone to get to walk with. Someone to get to follow. Someone to be with. I need to learn how to imitate your faith. And then innovation is the process of saying, we don't live in first century Jerusalem anymore. We're going to have to try and figure some of these things out. We're going to have to come up with some good answers. We're going to have to sit there and go, how do I handle 
you know, a, an internet-ready world with my six-year-old and my four-year-old. Well, you're not going to find Jesus speak about that. I'm going to have to innovate. I'm going to have to take the principles that Jesus has given to me. But God has given us this incredible opportunity through discipleship to be able to do that. So how do we make disciples? Let me just give you these, uh, these ideas. Discipleship is leading others to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm in a discipleship relationship if I'm allowing others to do that with me. If I'm allowing them to help me increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence of Jesus Christ. Now let's go back. Let's remind ourselves of what we talked about last week. When Jesus called the disciples into that relationship with him as disciples, what did he call them to? It was not a seminary model. It was not a model where they broke out their laptops and they all sat around with a little Starbucks coffee and they just took as many notes as they possibly could. How did it work? We said last week, Jesus was the rabbi. Those disciples were broken up into smaller groups. The rabbi would throw out a question. The rabbi would throw out a a, a difficult situation. The rabbi would say, here's a teaching that someone else says. What do you say about that? And then... Hard enough to believe, especially if you go to church regularly, the rabbi would shut up. Okay? Now, again, this is not our typical North American thing because, you know, I'm supposed to preach for 30, 40, 50 minutes, something like that. Well, at least I hear the 30, 40, 50 minutes. You guys hear 20. But still. Uh, but, you know, that, that idea of sitting there going, okay, you're supposed to give enough information to make this valuable today. But instead, they would then wrestle together. So Peter, James, and John, they would take an issue and they would sit there and say, all right, what do we know from the Bible? How are we supposed to handle this? What do you think about this? Yeah, but what about that? I'm not sure about this. Let's pray about this together. What does the Word say about this? Jesus would come by and as he heard them talking, he might throw another question on top of that to shape the direction that they were headed. But the rabbi wasn't the key lecturer-in-chief The rabbi was the one who kind of acted almost like a referee to keep the soccer ball on the field. Who was playing the game? The disciples were. The rabbi didn't come in and go, let me show you how to score five goals. The rabbi said, ooh, that's going out of bounds right now. Let's push it back in. Deep learning happens when I share my life with you. We've said this before, but... So many of us are looking for like a Yoda kind of mentor. We're looking for, uh, I don't know, that great mentor who knows everything and they can tell you how to handle every situation and I can just go to them, you know, and it doesn't even seem like they walk. They just seem to float, you know, and and then I, I can go after them and I just want that older, wise, super mentor who can just tell me how to do everything. But I will tell you this, that does happen for some of you, but it is super rare and then they die. At least that's what happened in my life. That's the pattern. But the most valuable mentoring I have ever experienced in my life by far has been when I have gotten together with two, three other people that were at my level, that, that loved me, that cared about me. And you know what we did? We just pressed into the situations of life together. Man, that was transforming. Have you experienced that? 
How many people have sat there and said, man, I wish I could have that super mentor, that, that mentor who knew exactly everything in life? Anybody wanted that? Really? You guys don't want that? Man, that's been my life. I hear these stories about guys going through church and some old guy walks up to him and says, you know what, I see God really doing something in your life and I want to invest in your life. I want you to come with me. And I'm sitting there going, man, this never, I don't ever remember that happening. Ever. And I'm not exaggerating. Ever in my life. Some of you have. But I can tell you the things that I've learned the most have been through partnering with other Christians who love Jesus and didn't have all the answers. Is that good news for you? Yes, it is. Because just like I'm not super mentor, guess what? Probably none of us in this room are, are at that level. But all of us are at the level where we can actually share life together. There's four ingredients. Okay, so Norm's been meeting with a group of guys on uh, Sunday mornings, a discipleship group of guys. And, and there's lots of discipleship that's happening in this church. Very little of it ever gets into the bulletin. But it's happening everywhere. If it's not happening in your life, what we want to do is talk to you and find out how to get you connected to some of these people. But Norm's working with a group, and we, we always talk about the three and the four. The three are the three areas that we're going, okay, am I increasingly worshiping Jesus? Do I see myself being changed by Jesus? And do I see growth in my obedience to Jesus? Then we have these four. We're trying to make this simple. We're trying to make it so it's not based on books. We're trying to make it so it's not based on, on, on all these other things. This should be as flexible as possible. But these four ingredients that go into this, the first one is prayer. When I get together with other people who are disciples and we're trying to figure out life together, the way that we're being changed is by praying together. It doesn't have to be hours of prayer, but there's this posture that sits there and says, God, we don't know how to do this life. I'm trying to figure out what to do with my career. Or God, I don't know how to handle it with my kids right now. Or God, there's more month than money right now. I don't know what to do. God, here's an area of sin that I have struggled with my entire life, and it doesn't seem like I'll ever get over this. One of the things we do when we get together is just pray. We pray with each other. We pray for each other. The second thing that goes with it is the Word of God. It's sitting there saying, what does the Word of God say about this? What are God's promises that I need to bring to you? What do I need to remind you about who God is for your situation? So we sit there and we take the Word of God. This doesn't always mean that I have to have an extended hour and a half long Bible study digging in, you know, ripping apart pages and, and getting into the Greek. Sometimes that's what you need. But some of us just need some people who can sit there and say, let me remind you who God is for you right now because your family situation is so broken. You don't need Greek what you need right now is to know what God promises to be for you and to do for you today. So, prayer and the Word. The third one is our Colossians 3.23 principle. It's the idea that all of your life is worship. Where you work, it's an act of worship. Um, going to the beach should be an act of worship. Uh, like I said, Tracy's building a house today. Act of worship. Raising toddlers. Act of worship. Dentistry. Okay? Act of worship. 
All these things are meant to be an act of worship. So when we get together, we can sit there and say to each other, I don't know how this is an act of worship. I don't see how this fits. And you can picture that there's areas where you sit there and go, okay, my spouse wants to divorce me. I don't see how this is an act of worship. My car is literally falling apart. Now that I don't have a car, I can't get to work. I don't see how this is an act of worship. Disciples can do that. Now, I know we're New Englanders. And I know as New Englanders, especially northern New Englanders, we like fences. We like lots of territory around us where I sit there and go, I will control the amount of information that you know about me. Now, again, I don't think I'm giving away any state secrets here. I'm just trying to be honest. I like to have kind of this spot where you're allowed in here and I will tell you what's going on in my life, but only if I feel like that's necessary or good. We've got to become more transparent. Disciples, one of the hard challenges of being a disciple in New England, one of the most uncomfortable things is instead of waiting for somebody to have to uh, ask all the right questions, like unlocking like a padlock, one of those, you know, those, those locks you had in your locker. They had to get all the combinations right, and suddenly, oh, you got all of them right. Now I'll tell you what's going on in my life. There needs to be this pattern that begins to say, let me tell you where I'm at. And that's hard. It's scary. But discipleship calls us to that because we see all of life as worship. That means my problems, my difficulties, my challenges, those are also opportunities to worship God. But I probably will not see them unless I share them with you. Finally, um, fourth, is just seeing all of life as sacrificial love. I want to live a life of sacrificial love. I want to give my life away. I want to be a servant to you. Disciples come together and say, how can we do that? How can we be more sacrificial to love our wives? What could I give up so that I could be more of an influence on my kids? But a, a, a disciple also looks through and says, How can I, what can I give up so I can actually be part of your life? Because you're my brother, you're my sister, you are family. Let me just review those prayer, word, seeing all of life of worship and living lives of sacrificial love. These are our four. When a group gets together to talk about those things, something incredibly amazing happens. Because you take weakness. You take people who say, I don't have all the answers. But who comes into that equation? The Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit takes our weakness and He blows it apart. He, he sits there and says, I am going to make this, I'm going to give you insight. I'm going to draw a scripture to, to, to mind for you. I'm going to open your heart so you actually can love this person who annoys you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for you. I'm going to step into your impossibility and I'm going to make it possible. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. So we walk into these things timidly going, I don't know how to do this. I don't think I'm a very good disciple. But when we practice these four things together in smaller community, that's where my life changes. So I know there's some of you, I've heard about some of you who, I know a father and a son-in-law who get together and they pray. 
that's where we change. I, I know that there's some of you who get together and you have breakfast, you know, once every other week. And no matter what you're going through, you guys are sharing that. I know that I love to hear about our, you know, our Snowbirds missional community because that's a, it's a, say a larger group for this, but they are sharing life together and they are there together and they're looking out to say, how are we going to reach out to others? But they're growing together and they bring the word and they bring prayer together so that someone might look at it and go, well, you know, this is a younger person. No, this is, this, is, this is every age inside of our church. And this is happening on so many different levels in so many different places. And what we want to do is encourage that just to keep happening. Not all of it, not much of it goes in the bulletin. That's what's different about Wyndham Baptist Church. Instead of me saying, okay, Steve, you meet with Norm and Steve, and you guys are going to get together, and we go. What we're going to do is we're going to say, hey, led by the Spirit, we're going to encourage you guys, will you continue to develop this? Will you continue to grow this? Will you take that initiative to have this happen? The Holy Spirit is the power source that's going to help these things to grow. Let me give you one more tool. Uh, these are some of the questions that you could ask with somebody if you wanted to have a, a framework. And I know Matt's been working on this with our, our youth. So every single level inside the church, this is our same framework. We think activities and programs are awesome. We think they're excellent but not when they begin to take away from our ability to have relational connections with people. If we do run programs, it's so we can have relational connections with people. These relationships are where these disciples were transformed. Jesus didn't invite them to a sermon. He invited them to be part of their life. In the same way, we know that you and I will only change as the Holy Spirit you know, brings us together into those types of relationships. Be careful, please, because the one danger here, if I'm not doing it, what do I assume about you? You're not doing it either. Which can be a very dangerous, harmful thought. It's happening so much inside this church. I need to be careful not to assume. Because you know, you're probably not going to wear a little, you know, like uh, I voted kind of a sticker. I did discipleship this week. You're not, you're not going to wear that sticker. And that's awesome because it, it's not the posture of a, of a learner to do that. So just be careful not to assume people aren't doing it. In fact, you probably should assume that most people here are. So here's that tool. Uh, it's, it's something we didn't develop. Uh, River Tree out in Ohio developed this, but we thought it was really great, so we stole it. We do what churches do all the time, right? So this one's called Come Thrive Go. If you sit down with somebody for lunch and you want to have this kind of discipleship life, you sit there, maybe it's a, a breakfast meeting, maybe it's an evening you get together, maybe you guys have innovated a way to do it over Skype instead of actually meeting you know, in the same room, or, or, or maybe, you know, there, there's lots of different ways that we can do these kind of things together. But this come, thrive, go. The first one, come, are you coming into the presence of God? The second one, thrive, are you thriving in relationships? And the third one is go, and are you, are you going and serving the world in Jesus' name? You see how easy this would be? You sit down with somebody else that you know wants to pursue the same thing, and you can ask them, how are you doing at coming into the presence of God? I don't have to come in with a lecture. I just did something really kind of actually unique in New England. I just asked a question. Did you ever notice that? 
You ever notice how few people seem to actually be good at asking questions? I hope that as a church, we're a church that grows in ability to ask questions. I can't really be part of your life if I don't ask questions and listen. So come into the presence of God. You know, some of the questions we could ask, am I regularly coming to God in worship? Do I live with an attitude of thanksgiving? Um, where in my life am I going to the cross? Does my pattern of prayer feel like like uh, feel life-giving? What am I praying about? Am I close to Jesus? These are some of the types of questions that might come if someone thinks through this idea of come. These are the types of questions you can ask someone that you're in a relationship with if you want to grow together. Hey, what have you been reading spiritually? See how the Word comes into this? I don't have to necessarily even be reading the same thing as you. I can just share where Jesus has been working in my life recently in my reading. It's powerful. The second one is thrive. And uh, we can post these and print some of these out. So if you, if you want some of these, we can, we'll do that. Uh, the second one, thrive. Are all areas of my life... Do I have accountability? Do I have someone who loves me, knows me, and I can share with them where I'm at? Do I have life-giving friendships? I mean, one of the hardest things, I think, in New England is so many people who feel alone. They just feel isolated. doesn't mean that they don't feel like they know people, but they don't feel like they're known by people. Thrive says, do I have life-giving relationships is life fun i know that doesn't sound like a christian question but it is it should be if anybody has the opportunity to be the most joyful excited and and life-giving people it's people who've been redeemed by jesus is life fun who who am i intentionally investing in do I actually keep Sabbath? Do I stop working once in a while? Because it's an act of worship to God to sit there and go, you know what, God? I don't need to do anything right now. I know the list is still out there. And the list has not gotten any shorter. But I'm going to stop working today just to be able to enjoy time of rest. Is my work-rest balance healthy or appropriate? Does my spouse feel loved and valued by me are my family relationships healthy is leadership a joy or a struggle do i eat exercise sleep properly am i good company at the moment in other words would there be a reason somebody else would actually be enjoy being with me these are the types of questions that we can ask each other these are whole life questions now i realize that when i ask some of these questions some people are going wait you're not asking did you memorize this first yet or you're not asking hey what's your theology of of this those are some of the key questions we do need to ask of each other but sometimes for the north american church we've made discipleship sound like it's all about having really big heads with lots and lots of information instead of having well-rounded lives discipleship leads to well-rounded lives so we talked about come thrive let me tell you a couple of the worst the questions of of go am i intentionally investing in people 
Does my life look like good news? We watched a, a movie on Netflix last night. Some of you have seen it. But it's called Home. And it's about this alien invasion. It's not scary at all. It's really cute. But the one guy, the key guy's name is O. And you kind of think, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. How do you get his name? Because everybody goes, oh, every time he shows up in the room. That's how he got his name. Oh, hey, oh, are, are you that guy? Do we need to rename you O? Because every time you walk in the room, you're like, oh, no, they're here. Or do we really have this? Does my life look like good news? Am I servant hearted? Am I happy to share my faith? Am I advancing God's kingdom? What's distinct about my home and my household? The non-Christians enjoy being with me. Where am I dying to success? Am I generous? These are some of the questions that we can kind of talk about. We can share with each other. We don't have to go in and check off all these questions every time. It might be that we just sit there and say, Hey, let me ask you a question. Are you fun to be with? Because I'm telling her to tell you today, I, I really struggle with that right now because I don't, I don't see that in you. What can we do to help you actually go back to being fun to be with? But do you see how discipleship touches all of lives? That one tool can be an open door for you. In other words, if you're in college, could you use that tool to sit with other people, whether they're your age or not, to grow together? Yeah. And, and, and say you've got young kids and you never have a moment to yourself because you have these, these young kids, but could you, could you just check in with each other on things like that? Yeah. The, the idea here is if you move to um, the Syrian border of Turkey, would this still work? Yes. If you were on a space shuttle, and there's no one else around. It's just you and like your two crewmates. Would this still work? Yes. If suddenly there were no printing or suddenly the internet broke and you couldn't reach all your podcasts anymore, could you continue to grow like this? Yes. How did the early church grow? What I'm here to say is the early church grew this way, not because they had super Yoda mentor, Jesus who kind of walked into every single situation, but they did have the presence power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to guide and empower them, to change them. But they were able to take the Word of God that they knew, work together to address new situations, and be able to mentor and grow and disciple each other so that the gospel kept just running. In 400 years, the gospel went from 11 people in the church to suddenly being the number one uh, most influential religion in the world with over a million people who followed Christianity. In 400 years. It's not because they had such a great network of podcasts, was it? It's because people were relational and people discipled each other. Now, I am going to say this. I don't feel like it's the typical posture of many in North America today to prefer discipleship because it's intrusive and it's weighty. We've said it before, 
It's a little bit more like going to the gym. So what we're saying to you is, here's the tools. Use them. Now, I have not used my gym membership lately, and I need to get back there. Okay? But who's... Who's, whose issue is that? It's mine. I'm just going to be honest about it. When it comes to discipleship, though, there's times where what we do is we say, well, no one else wants to, or nobody else does it, or my church hasn't helped me, or, or, or there's lots of different things. What I want to do is I just want to say to you, we want to help you. We want to help you grow in this. We want to just sit there with you and say, I have no idea as a mom with young children how this is going to work in your life, but we can pray together and we can figure it out and we can talk about it and I know that the Spirit of God is going to help us figure out how to do it. You might be in a specific situation. In fact, I was talking to somebody today about their specific situation and it hit me. I'm like, I need to connect you with that person right there because they can help. I'm not going to sit there and say, okay, well, here's your 16 sheets on how to do all this. What we're going to do is we're going to say, hey, let's pray. Let's look at the Word together. Let's try and figure out. Uh, let's wrestle through this together. And you'll come up with answers. Nobody has to be alone. Nobody, as a Christian, should be alone. One of our convictions is as a church, we're going to call people to this. And we realize that for some people, that's going to be the greatest joy in their life. And for some other people, they're going to sit there and go, no, that's not what I want. But that's what we're about. So there's going to be some times where it looks like we're not doing anything. But part of it is probably more that we're saying, hey, waiting for you. Disciples always have their own inner, what, motivation. If somebody else has to call you every day and get you out of bed at 6.30 so you can read the Word of God, guess what? That might be helpful for a season, but we're not going there. Right? Why? Because I've got to want to know Jesus. I can't ask you to do it for me. You know how that goes. Well, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this room full of disciples. Thank you for people who who love this and they've been living this and um, it's gone on quietly and they've even innovated kind of new ways to do this together. I thank you for people who've grown their boldness as disciples over the last year or two. I thank you for people who have rearranged their lives in so many places to make sure that they get to live this kind of discipleship. I thank you that there's some people in here who probably just figured out today that they're actually in a discipleship relationship with somebody else and they never knew it. And, and Lord, I pray that would be a blessing to them. So, Lord, help us to continue to do this. Help us to reach out to other people who don't know you and draw them in these discipleship relationships so we can help them come to start to understand who you are. Lord, help us to look around and see others that we can invest in their lives and be thankful for. God, I pray that there would be some people here who have walked with you that would actually look at other people and say, hey, I see something in you. And I want to invest in your life. Make us into that kind of people, I pray. Because Jesus, that's what you did. Thanks for giving us hope. We pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen.